This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, folks? It's Rich, My Take Radio, episode 59 for Thursday, September 16th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II, Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other episodes, well, any of the other music used in previous episodes, sorry, at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347 324 3541. Again, that number is 347-324-3541. All right, let's talk some housekeeping. First off, My Take Radio 3.0 is semi-back in progress. Um, My Take Radio will probably have some downtime probably tomorrow and some of Saturday as we are moving to HostGator from GoDaddy. As such, um, the existing themes and stuff will stay the same for the moment. Um, but there will be some things being implemented. Probably the new forum will be going into effect as well as a few other things. So that should be coming together probably no later than next week. And hopefully everything should be finalized in time for Comic-Con in October. So keep an eye out for that stuff. And I'm letting you know in advance if there are any outages. I apologize. But... I will be keeping you guys aware of what's going on via the fan page and via Twitter, which, of course, you can follow us at MyTakeRadio. In addition to that, obviously, you know the donation button is there. want to thank those of you that have donated so far, helping us out with some of our calls to continue delivering MyTakeRadio to the masses. We appreciate it. Um, but on a separate note, you know that my fiance is doing the Making Strides for Breast Cancer Walk and she will be walking in memory of my mother in October. I believe it is October 16th. You guys have seen the links on MyTakeRadio.com as well as on the Facebook fan page or my personal Facebook page. Um, if you get a chance, you know, it's a cause that's very near and dear to me. I lost my mom to cancer, so, you know, if you get a chance and you want to toss a donation her way, you know, she's doing really well. A lot of people have really stepped up. And, you know, you can donate as little as five bucks. You know, that's one less trip to Starbucks or one less scratch-off lottery ticket. So definitely, you know, if you want to toss five bucks her way, that would be appreciated. I will be putting the link on the fan page in case you haven't gotten it. Or if you're following me personally on Facebook, then definitely look for the link on my page or her page as well. Uh, the Facebook fan page is officially at 370 fans. And... um very excited. I'm very excited that My Take Radio is spreading and it's growing so quickly. Um, we're 30 fans away from 400, so definitely continue spreading the My Take Radio word across the web and to your friends and, you know, your coworkers and shit like that because it's definitely showing and it's definitely just a positive thing. In addition to that, listenership has grown. Um, I'm sure there are some that beg to differ in response to that, but 
I won't go any further into into things like that. But the fact of the matter is that you know listenership is growing, downloads are growing. The app. I have not gotten any numbers for the My Take Radio app. I have no idea whether you know it's been downloaded by five people or fifty. Um, things of that nature. I think I'm going to have to get with Libsyn on and find out. But the few people that I know that do have it currently really enjoy it. They feel it's easier access and they don't have to, you know, download the podcast or do any of that stuff. So definitely easier for some people with the app. If you do get a chance, you can find it in the iTunes store. Just punch in My Take Radio. It costs $1.99. Um, it, it couldn't be free. It was out of my control for those of you that are beyond cheap. Um, $1.99 is a, is a drop in the bucket. So, you know, if you want to support the show and you've got any sort of an iDevice, whether an iPad, iPod, or iPhone, then you can look for the My Take Radio app, which, like I said, is $1.99. Um, Tokyo Game Show coverage, of course, has been ongoing. There's been tons of stuff on the Facebook fan page. There's been stuff on MyTakeRadio.com as well. Um, new Minority Film Report was done recently. Slick and I watched The Prince of Persia, so you can get that from the Blog Talk Radio, My Take Radio page, or you can listen to it, I believe, also from the Libsyn page, or you can look for it on iTunes, but just in case... I'll probably repost the link in the fan page, and you can listen to it in the fan page as well. And that's pretty much it. Here's a rundown of tonight's topics. We're going to talk Ultimate Fight Night. We're going to talk about the first season, the first episode of The Ultimate Fighter. Chael Sonnen, back to his old ways. We're going to talk about some Strike Force signings. We're going to talk about this week's Monday Night Raw, um, some upcoming games. we got movie news to discuss. And we're even going to dip our toes into the proverbial pool of television with a couple of news stories from TV as well. But before I start talking about MMA, I do want to reference a letter I got. Um, I'd say roughly, well, a letter, an email I got roughly half an hour ago from a guy named John who says he's been listening to the show since 2006. And before I get into that, you know, thanks for supporting the show from the old days of 2006. But he proceeded to ask me if it was possible to, you know, only do games and movies, like why do I choose to cover MMA and wrestling, or, you know, can I save that stuff to the later portions of the show, given the fact that it isn't something everybody listens to. Um, with all due respect, John, fuck you. We'll start with that. We'll start with that just because you've supported the show since 2006. Since 2006 that I have done the show, it's been the same four fucking topics. So if you didn't email me in 2006 bitching about it and you're emailing me now, were you fucking bored? That's the way the shit works. It's MMA, wrestling, video games, and movies. And I'll tell you why it's like that for those of you that give a shit about why I cover the four. I'm interested in all four things. I was a martial artist growing up, so MMA is very close to me. Pro wrestling is, is full of humor. There's tons of nostalgia for me. And I got enough people that are also gamers that also watch wrestling. So that's where that comes in. Video games and movies, look at it like this. Think of MMA and wrestling as the appetizer and video games and movies as the main course. You got, you get warmed up, you get into a groove, you go into the shit, and then you kill it. That's what I want to do. I like MMA to just set the tone and get me started. And then wrestling kind of, you know, is the setup. And then video games is the, the, the one-two punch with movies, and the fact is, if you don't want to hear the shit, fast forward. 
fast forward through it, or here's a, here's a better idea. Download the MP3, delete the shit that you don't want to listen to, and keep it moving. Are, are you fucking serious? Do I look like a fucking DVR to you? Does this look like Time Warner Cable that you could, that I can fucking pause and you can skip to the portions you want? No, asshole. You listen to the shit you want to listen to, or you edit it, or don't download it. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm going to rearrange the show to make shit easy for you. Holy shit. It's, uh, it was definitely something that needed to be addressed just because, you know, I, I had a really shitty fucking day. And then getting an email that's so inane and so fucking stupid just just didn't didn't bode well for the for the beginning of the show. I'm more than sure you know most of you guys are, are used to just me being a psychopath, but the fact of the matter is that it needed to be addressed, and I wanted to address it directly because it's foolish. You know, it's fast forward and keep it moving. All right, let's talk some MMA. First off, Ultimate Fight Night was last night, and I'll tell you what delivered from start to finish. Great free TV card. The main event was Nate Marquardt and, and Husamar Palhares. And uh, the co-main event was Efrain Escudero and uh, I believe it's Mark Oliveira. I always, am I right? Oh, it's Charles Oliveira. Whoops, my fault. Nonetheless, great card from start to finish. I'm going to mostly talk about the televised card first just because the preliminary card, I haven't gotten the opportunity to watch it yet. I think that I can watch it on UFC.com. Don't quote me on it, but I didn't get to see the preliminary fight, which I was bummed about because I honestly thought that the Eve Edwards fight and the Rich Antonito fight would end up on the televised card. But you can't win them all. But there was definitely some great fights. Cole Miller versus Ross Pearson opened the televised portion of the broadcast. I'm a huge Ross Pearson fan. I really like him. He, um, you know, he won the Team USA versus Team UK Ultimate Fighter. Cole Miller, also Ultimate Fighter veteran, but I tell you what, for those of us that pick Ross Pearson, man, you lost your dough on that one because Cole Miller came in there and did his thing. Um, you know, Pearson got caught uh, the first round. Definitely, Miller was showing um, on some improved stand-up and just just working the body. It, you know, he was doing a lot of body kicks. It, it was a really really solid outing for Miller in the first round. Second round. Um, they both guys, quick shot to the jaw. Miller actually shot in, but Pearson blocked that with a sprawl. There was also some really great counters from Pearson, but when it went back to punching, um, Miller came out with a flurry, caught him with a right, then a left hook. Pearson got rocked, at which point Cole Miller took the back and locked him out for the choke. So he wins via, via tap out, rear naked choke um, in round two. Uh, Jim Miller versus Gleason T-Bow was... Another solid fight. Jim Miller, I really enjoy watching him fight. He goes in there, and it's always um, very active on the stand-up. It goes to the ground. He's not a guy that kind of lays, lays on the ground and, you know, kind of looks for a quick submission. He stays active on the ground, which I like. Um, a couple of times they went to the ground. He, uh, you know, he was using the rubber guard. He was just working from the bottom position really well. Uh, Gleason Tebow, a lot of great strong takedowns from him, um, definitely in the first round. Uh, second round, it was definitely Miller. Miller turned it on in the third with a couple of really great flurries from him, um, and he stuffed a couple of takedowns as well. Just just great work 
from both guys. It ended, it ended up being Jim Miller via unanimous decision. Um, definitely a solid fight. I really enjoyed it, partly because I'm a, I'm a Jim Miller fan, and um, I, I was happy to see him win. You know, it, it's, it's funny because these are guys that they're just racking up these wins, and they're just slowly going underneath the radar, and then they're just going to spring up, and before you know it, boom, title shot. So definitely something for sure um, that I enjoyed, especially from Jim Miller, who who is from Jersey, you know, a, a Jersey boy, much like Kurt Pellegrino, who I'm also a fan of. So, you know, i got to support the local guys. Um, Efren Escudero was fighting Charles Oliveira. Escudero came in three pounds overweight for the fight. Uh, Charles Oliveira, great stand-up, working a lot of leg kicks. Um, Escudero trying to work a little bit of groundwork. But Oliveira's striking was just insane. It ended up being in round three, there was a huge exchange between the two, at which point um, Oliveira ended up eating a knee to the groin. Um, you know, he got five minutes. You're supposed to get five minutes when you get kneed in the groin. I was a little annoyed at the fact that the ref was kind of was trying to rush it along and get, and get him back in. It's like if you get kneed in the nuts, and they tell you, you got five minutes to recover. Take your five minutes. I don't know what the hell the ref was on, you know, what kind of bullshit he was on, but I, I really didn't appreciate the fact that he was rushing him considering he got kneed in the nuts. Nonetheless, Oliveira must have not liked that very much, and he ended up um, catching Escudero's back and locked in a standing sleeper choke. Well, it was a standing rear naked choke, but it looked like a, like a sleeper you see um, in wrestling. It was fantastic, definitely great work from Oliveira, young dude, and, you know, Escudero, he came in and, you know, three pounds overweight definitely didn't help him. A lot of people were expecting Escudero to go in there and put on a clinic. Charles Oliveira moves on, but he was 13-0 and coming in, definitely a great fight. Main event, Nate the Great Marquardt, Husamar Palhares. Um, Palhares, I really like watching him fight. He has really nasty leg locks. Um, he, he, he goes for the leg and he goes for the ankle immediately, as soon as it presents itself, he goes in there and he locks in a leg lock. His leg locks are, are usually devastating and guaranteed all, almost always victories. Um, Nate Marquardt, of course, a uh, well-rounded fighter from start to finish. Um, both guys came out. There was a lot of good exchanging. Paul Harris tried to take it to the ground, um, you know, but Marquardt going for a triangle as soon as they went to the ground. Paul Harris slipped out a couple of times, um, ended up being... Pahar is grabbing a heel hook, which he lost, and for some reason he complained to the ref and he wasn't protecting himself, at which point Marquardt pounced on him and just beat him like he stole something, at which point, you know, Herb Dean stopped the fight and it was over. It seemed that Paul Harris was suggesting that Nate Marquardt's legs were greased. And what happened was as he was complaining to the ref about Marquardt's legs being greased, Marquardt came and snuffed him right in the face and beat his ass and, you know, ended up winning by TKO in round one, at which point Joe Rogan um, was interviewing Nate Marquardt about the grease, and he said that the rest of the commission and the doctor all checked Marquardt's legs, which were dry and clean. Uh, Nate Marquardt did say that he was sweaty when he came out but not greased at all, at which point, of course, later on, uh, later on today, uh, Husamar Palhares, of course, uh, apologized for alleging that Nate Marquardt had grease on his legs, which he didn't. It was clearly, you know, he grabbed it, 
Marquardt escaped. Yeah, he escaped with ease, but it wasn't – you couldn't see any sort of sheen to his legs that would indicate something like Vaseline or baby oil or anything of that nature. You know, he just got caught out there, and he didn't protect himself at all, at all times like he should, and he got tagged, and that was it. Um, of course – um, a victory for Marquardt, of course, puts him back in there in that, in that title contention, something that, that people need to keep an eye on for sure. Definitely an impressive card. Free TV. You can't beat that. Always great work from Spike for sure. Appreciated that. Um, moving on, let's talk about this new season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, this season is Team GSP, of course, host, uh, coached by George Rush St. Pierre and Team Josh Koscheck. This season consisted of 28 lightweights, um, which were fighting in this first episode for a chance to get into the house. They weren't even officially on the Ultimate Fighter. They actually had to fight their way into the house, which is sometimes one of the most exciting parts of this show since it was introduced, because there's no, there's no automatic, oh, you're in the house and you're good. No, you've got to fight your way in, and you've got to fight your way to stay, and you've got to fight your way to get um, a chance to be crowned the Ultimate Fighter. And I think that from start to finish, that's sometimes one of the best ways to do it because it really weeds out who wants to be there. It's like, hey, you're going to be on The Ultimate Fighter, but guess what? You're fucking fighting today. Congratulations. There's no, oh, this, that, and the third, I wasn't ready. You come in, you should always be battle-tested and battle-ready. I think that when you're a professional athlete or you're in um, a high-caliber athlete, you should always be prepared to compete in general at all times, because you never know when it may come in, when, when it may come in handy or when it may come into a, a situation where you're going to need to use it for, for something major, especially with the Ultimate Fighter. These guys were ready. They came in ready to fight the first fight, Mark Stevens versus TJ O'Brien. Um, Stevens actually has a little bit of history. Josh Koscheck was Stevens' college wrestling coach. Mark Stevens came in. They touched gloves. Stevens dropped TJ O'Brien with an overhand right, and that was it. TKO 13 seconds into round one. Disgusting. Uh, Spencer Page versus Steve uh, Magdaleno. Great fight back and forth. Uh, Page ended up winning by unanimous decision, but it, it, was, a, it was a brawl, man. It was a, a, a nice two-round brawl, which I really enjoyed. Uh, Nam Fan um, was fighting Mike Budnick. Nam Fan ended up winning uh, first round. TKO, once again, disgusting with a body shot to Budnick, at which point fan swarms in, boom, 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 and it was just ridiculous. It, it was a nice performance from Nam Fan, who a lot of people were saying that he looks to be one of the favorites for the show. Um, they also gave a couple of highlights for some of the other fights. Um, Andy Main submitted Jason Brenton with a triangle choke. Jonathan Brookins out-wrestled uh, Rand Weathers, and he ended up getting a decision. Uh, uh, this guy's name, I got a Sako... Chivichian won a decision over Toby Greer. Um, Daniel Head um, got reared, got choked out by Jeffrey Lynch. Fight four, Paul Barrow versus Alex Caceres. Um, Alex Caceres goes out dressed like Bruce Lee with an afro. It was pretty much hilarious. Think of Bruce Leroy from The Last Dragon. Um, really cool gimmick. He actually looks like a, like a really entertaining dude for this season. Um, he ended up winning by submission in round one. It was, it was, it was really good. He ended up using um, a choke similar to the one that, we, that you saw in, Hugh, in, in Matt Hughes versus Frank Trigg uh, during their first meeting. Definitely an awesome fight. We got a couple of more highlights. Michael Johnson beat Pablo Garza by decision. 
Uh, Aaron Wilkinson won by decision as well. Uh, Kyle Watson defeated Joseph Duffy. And uh, Seven Magican was uh, defeated. Um, he defeated J.J. Ambrose. So the last fight that they were showing, well, there were two other fights that they showed, which was Cody McKenzie uh, versus uh, Amir Keela. Once again, submission, nice submissions from a lot of these guys, real quick guillotine, and the guy pretty much got choked to sleep. Really great performance, definitely, from Cody McKenzie, another guy to be watching. Dane Sayers for Ariel Sexton, which that was the last fight. Um, Dane Sayers by submission in round two with a rear naked choke. Definitely really good. The fighters now that are moving into the house, Mark Stevens, Spencer Page, Nam Fan, Alex Caceres, Cody McKenzie, Dane Sayers, Andy Main, Jonathan Brookins, Sako Kavichian, Jeffrey Lentz, Michael Johnson, Aaron Wilkinson, Kyle Watson, and Seven Magican. Not only that, one of the craziest things that I enjoyed, Mike Tyson will be making an appearance on The Ultimate Fighter, and of course they showed a little bit of a preview for the season, uh, Koscheck getting into shit with the coaches. Oh my God, it's definitely exciting. Two things I got to shout out. There was a tap-out commercial I really enjoyed with young kids practicing MMA. I really liked that just because it showed that MMA is going beyond the quote-unquote douchebag sport and it's being embraced by parents and they're, that, that want to put their children into it as well. Don't get me wrong. When I have kids, they're going to learn MMA as well. I learned martial arts. It's, it's, it's in my blood, and I'm more than sure that if they want to, they can practice it as well. So definitely a commercial to look out for. I'm going to see if I can find it and put it on the My Take Radio fan page on Facebook just because it was really cool and I enjoyed it. Um, with that said, that's going to wrap up both recaps, and let's get into some more MMA news. Um, first off, UFC 119 Countdown is going to be debuting September 20th at 11 p.m. on Spike TV. You're going to get a replay September 24th and the 25th. UFC 119 is September 25th from the Conseco Fieldhouse in Indy. Here's the card. Miracle Krokop, Frank Mir is your main event. Ryan Bader is fighting Antonio Rogerio Nogueira or Little Nog. Chris Lytle is fighting New York's own Matt Serra. I'm going to be watching that fight with much interest. Huge Matt Serra fan I am. Uh, Evan Dunham is fighting Sean Shirk. I'm a huge Sean Shirk fan as well. Be watching that with much interest. Uh... The, the assassin, Melvin Gillard, is going to be fighting Jeremy Stevens. On the Spike TV free card, you're getting C.B. Dalloway versus Joe Dirksen and Joey Beltran versus Matt Mitrione. On the undercard, Pat Audenwood is fighting Thiago Tavares. You got T.J. Grant on there. You got Mark Hunt uh, fighting Sean McCorkle on that card as well. Definitely a great card, 118, September 25th. Let's talk some Strikeforce. Strikeforce actually announced two signings this week. First off, they sent out a press release that they signed Josh, the babyface assassin Barnett, uh, to a multi-fight agreement to compete in Strikeforce. Um, Josh Barnett, really exciting heavyweight to watch. We're going to see what kind of damage he does now in the heavyweight division with Strikeforce. Definitely going to be keeping an eye on him. And in one that was really considered a no-brainer, uh, Strikeforce announced the signing of Paul Semtex Daly uh, to a multi-fight contract. Daly actually released a statement, which is the following. I'm a striker. There's no secret about that. I like to knock people out aggressively and quickly. And quickly. 
That's my game, and no opponent's going to change that. Almost all my fights are exciting and memorable with nonstop action. I'm looking forward to fighting for Strike Force and would really love to fight Nick Diaz. He's a big name and a great fighter. Diaz would bring the, the best out of me, and it would be a great test. So, of course, no surprise there. I knew Semtex would end up in one promotion or another. Definitely really good to watch. Um, he's a really exciting fighter. Again, the whole thing with Koscheck, while unfortunate, um, it's great to see him fighting for a major, promo- for a major promotion. I think he's going to definitely do damage in Strike Force, so I'll be watching his career in Strike Force with much interest. In some HD net news, it seems that Mark Cuban uh, had some issues with, with Dana White, which was one of the reasons why that um, Inside MMA could never use UFC video clips or access to the organization. But Mark Cuban made an announcement, which makes me very happy. Uh, Dana and I have had some disagreements at the business level. Because of those, HD net hasn't had access to UFC events. We weren't able to be at the weigh-ins. We didn't have press credentials. We didn't get video clips after the fights. So Dana and I have been talking the past few months, and we kind of came to an agreement and worked things out. This is really good for HDNet. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of HDNets as well as Strike for, uh, as um, Spike TV because of their great coverage of MMA. HDNet does inside MMA. They also do some of the Japanese MMA promotions, uh, Sengoku, uh, Dream, really great that they're going to be able to cover the UFC as well, considering that Inside MMA is really a really great show, and they have some really awesome panels. Uh, Joe Rogan, um, you know, Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz, um, those guys. It's great now that actually they can uh, cover the UFC as it's meant to be covered and, of course, continue increasing the exposure of MMA. So that makes me happy as well. Definitely something that I will... Hopefully, once I kick Time Warner Cable to the curb and I get files, I can probably watch HDNet again, and I can start talking a little bit more about Inside MMA and some of the other fights that, of course, I can't see because Time Warner's a bunch of assholes. Um, With that said, let's talk a little bit about UFC 121, which will be coming up October 23rd. Uh, That's coming together really nicely. Uh, The main event, of course, is Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez for the heavyweight title. you got Martin Kampman fighting Jake Shields on that card. Diego Sanchez and Paulo Tiago, Matt Hamill, and, of course, the return versus the returning Tito Ortiz, which I will be watching uh, with much interest. I'm a huge Matt Hamill fan, and I'm a huge Tito Ortiz fan, so I'm going to definitely be split on that one. Gabriel Gonzaga will be fighting Brendan Schaub. The preliminary card on Spike TV is Ryan Jensen versus Court McGee and Patrick Cote versus Tom Lawler. On the prelims, you got Sam Stout. you got Mike the Joker Guyman. Chris Camozzi is going to be on there. Gilbert Ivel, John Madsen, 121, October 21st. It's going to be fucking insane. Brock Lesnar's an animal. Cain Velasquez is out of his fucking mind. Those two big motherfuckers are going to kill each other, and I am going to enjoy paying $44 to watch it and to cover it for your enjoyment. Bobby Lashley, as you know, I talked about his performance during the last Strike Force event against Chad Griggs, where he kind of gassed out and verbally tapped out. Um, of course, they were concerned about Bobby Lashley's health after that, considering that he was um, hospitalized for dehydration, amongst other things. He did actually go on record and tell and told MMA Fighting that he would love a rematch with Chad Griggs, adding that he told Strike Force before their fight that he was having health issues, including a bout with Mono. He said the following, and I quote, 
When I went to the hospital afterwards, they said I was really dehydrated. I went to the hospital on Thursday before the fight because I wasn't feeling very good. I was just sluggish and not feeling good at all. So I went to urgent care and got checked out. I thought I was going to be okay. We didn't do any blood work, but they gave me an IV because they said I was a little dehydrated then. And when I went in there and fought, I didn't have anything in me. So definitely wishing Bobby Lashley a speedy recovery to see him back in the cage. I really don't want to write Bobby Lashley off. A lot of people seem to do that. They're like, oh, yeah, Bobby Lashley, blah, 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 and they write him off because he lost. Everybody has to lose at some point or another. It's all about how you bounce back, and he admitted he wasn't 100%. He had a fucking motto, for Christ's sake. So, you know, he gets fucking points for going in there and trying to do the best that he could. And not for nothing, he was doing decently well. I mean, Griggs went in there and caught him and cut him really bad, but... The fight itself was definitely a fight that Lashley could have won. So definitely a rematch with Chad Griggs is something I'd like to see just to see if the outcome will be the same. My buddy Chael Sonnen. Good old Chael. Let me tell you, I fucking love this guy. Chael Sonnen is a master shit talker. Like, he was always a shit talker. But when he fought Anderson Silva, he turned it up to a level that I hadn't seen uh, in MMA in a long time since Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock. That's taking it back in terms of shit-talking. I mean, don't get me wrong, Paul Daly and, and Koscheck had shit-talking and Koscheck and GSP shit-talking. But Chael Sonnen, everywhere he went, I'm going to beat Anderson Silva's ass. I'm going to be Anderson Silva's face in. Anderson Silva's a clown. Anderson Silva isn't, it ain't shit. He, he had no qualms about shitting on him at all. It was, it was always one of those things which made it really entertaining, especially when, when you know, you're, you're following the sport as much as I do. There's always those guys that, that they just jump out at you, and, and you, really, you really know about them, but they kind of just float under the radar. Chael Sonnen was that guy. I didn't think that, you know, I mean, other than him running for politics and seeing him fight, I didn't really think much of him just because, you know, he, he fought well, he, he was an entertaining fighter, but I felt he was very one-dimensional. Needless to say, his, he's beyond one-dimensional. Obviously, he was covering a, a Q&A session for the UFC, of course, leading up to the upcoming UFC event, and of course, he's got to start with the shit-talking. Number one, Anderson Silva. What did Chael have to say about Anderson Silva? He goes, is Anderson Silva here somewhere? I'll kick his ass from Austin all the way to San Antonio. His next comment. People keep saying, Chael, you're hyping the fight. He goes, no, I'm not. Hyping a fight is when I tell you guys this is going to be a great fight. I did just the opposite before the first fight, and I'm going to do just the opposite now. This is not going to be a great fight. This is going to be him getting beat up for 25 minutes until he gives up. I think Silva's a great fighter, but he's not as good as me. He's not as good as Yushin Okami either. He's not the best guy in the world, and he never has been. He's a sham. He's one of those guys that throws leg, leg kicks. So what if you get kicked in your leg? What a bunch of crying. Getting kicked in the leg and admitting that hurts is like admitting you're scared of the dark. It may be true, but if you say it, you're a real wimp. Obviously, we know his issues with Anderson Silva go without saying. But... He broke out uh, some, some memorable lines about George St. Pierre and heavyweight champion Brock Lesnar. George St. Pierre first. 
GSP had better pray to heaven above that Shogun accepts my challenge because one of those two is getting beat up. If, GF, if GSP had wanted to fight me, the first thing I would say is the same thing I say every time I hear GSP talk. Dang it, that guy sounds like a French-Canadian Minnie Mouse. That's the first thing I'd say. Then I'd say, hey, GSP, let me ask you a serious question. Do you have a designated driver? Do you have someone to get you home safely? Because, you, because clearly you are intoxicated. GSP, do you have a hankering for pain? GSP, did you lose a bet with God? GSP, bring your $3,000 suit, bring your $3 date, and get the three-cent tan knocked off your socialist back. If you see GSP, give him that message from me. <sighs> chill, chill, chill. Just going out there talking that shit. Brock Lesnar. Now, of course, you know, a rational human being would say, you know, let me not talk shit about a guy who's a walking refrigerator. Let, let me not do that. Let me not talk about a guy who, who, who's practic who has a Buick for a chest that can possibly rip my spine out and beat me with it. But Chael Sonnen's Chael Sonnen, and of course, the shit talking continues. This is what he had to say about Brock Lesnar. If Brock Lesnar was here right now, I'd take my boot off and throw it at him. And he'd better polish it before he brings it back to me. Talking about he's the baddest guy in the UFC. Brock, quit eating so many raw eggs and doing push-ups because it's affecting your realm of reality. Are you kidding me? I'd slap you in your face and you wouldn't do anything. I'm Brock Lesnar. I've got a $5 haircut and a knife tattooed on my chest. I'd shove it up your face if you get in Chael Sonnen's way. And, of course, last but not least, he had to wrap up with a little poem for Anderson Silva. Anderson, who are you going to send? Anderson, still, Anderson, think it through. There's still a few months before they lock that cage door behind me and you. Last time they raised your hand, but it was plain to see. I took a lot more out of you than you took out of me. I broke the mirror, and I blew away the smoke. It was me who tapped, but it was you who broke. So definitely Chael Sonnen just, just ramping it up in the shit talking. Again, I fucking love this guy. Let's move on. UFC confirmed UFC 123 is going to be the main event of, of Quentin Rampage Jackson against Lyoto Machida. That's going to be November 20th at the Palace at Auburn Hills. Um, of course, Quentin Jackson making his return to the octagon after his uh, disappointing loss in my eyes to Rashad Evans. And, of course, Lyoto Machida making his return after the Shogun ass-whooping that he took. Uh, the co-main event for that card, very unexpected, Matt Hughes versus BJ Penn, which I, fuck, man, UFC taking my money. So in November, I'll be giving up $45 again. Other rumored matches on this card, Joe Lazan versus George Sotaropoulos, uh, Tim Bocek versus Phil Davis, Matt Brown versus Rory McDonald, the return of Carl Parisian fighting Dennis Hallman, uh, Nick Lentz versus Tyson Griffin, Paul Kelly versus Gabe Rudiger, all rumored, all, all rumored fights on that card, but Hughes and Penn and Jackson and Machida are the officially confirmed fights for that card. That's going to wrap up the MMA news. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, get a drink of water, and be back right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say... This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight tumbling with Tumbleweed Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? 
blogtalkradio.com Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, let's talk some wrestling news first. Uh, Monday Night Raw this week. I want to definitely talk about that a little bit. Monday Night Raw, um, the guest host this week was Chad Ochocinco, better known as Chad Johnson. Um, definitely, I will say this, he did a better job than most guest hosts. He had a really great uh, setup with The Miz. Uh, first couple of things I want to talk about, because they were doing the Raw Roulette Wheel, where, of course, you would spin the roulette wheel and it would pick what kind of a match it would be. Uh, first off, of course, Chad Johnson was out. The Miz comes out. Huge, huge exchange between The Miz and Chad Johnson. The wheel gets spun. What gets, what gets selected? Nothing but a submission match. Who is his opponent? Daniel Bryan. Who didn't see that coming? Of course, um, Daniel Bryan comes in. He's whooping the Miz's ass. The, the Miz decides that he has um, a hernia out of nowhere. He grabs the mic. He says that he has a hernia and he can't compete, but that his protege, Alex Riley, who he coached on NXT, would be taking his place. Daniel Bryan had no problem with that. Went right into the LaBelle lock, Daniel Bryan. Alex Riley tapped out, at which point, of course, The Miz comes, and all of a sudden his hernia disappears, and he proceeds to try and whoop Daniel Bryan's ass, but he gets caught in the LaBelle lock as well, and that's that. Definitely one of the better matches. I, I kind of thought that it was a bit rushed, but definitely a, a, good, a good build to the match at Night of Champions, where I'm more than sure Daniel Bryan is going to take the U.S. title from The Miz, and The Miz may cash in his money in the bank briefcase. I, I smell him cashing it in just because that huge match at the pay-per-view, the, um, the six-pack challenge, those guys are going to be exhausted. So I can kind of see The Miz taking that as an opportunity to cash it in and win the belt. We'll see what happens. Uh, the, second, uh, the second match, well, the third match, I would say, because you would count Riley versus Bryan as the second match, um, the Edge and Evan Bourne, and it turned out to be a body slam challenge, which, of course, Edge won, which annoys me because it just makes Evan Bourne look weak, and that's a guy who has an exciting skill set, a great finishing move, and he has, he's a huge fan favorite, and you job him out every opportunity you get. It's really unfortunate that they go that route, especially with somebody like Evan Bourne, who who's just has such a great fan base, he has great presence, and he has a kick-ass finishing move. If you get a chance, definitely look up the Airborne Shooting Star Press on YouTube, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Of course, the mystery GM didn't like Edge's actions, so they did a new body slam challenge. And of course, it's a no-brainer. Who was his opponent? Mark Henry. Duh, who didn't see that shit coming a mile away? Mark Henry, of course, won. You know, they added the whole edge, you know, it adds a little bit to the whole edge versus general manager storyline. But other than that, fucking waste. Um, Maurice and the million and the million dollar champion Ted DiBiase were supposed to be having a song and dance match against R-Truth and Eve. Let me tell you, it's as shitty as it sounds. So I'm not even, I'm not even going to acknowledge it. Moving on. They did a, a spin the wheel with William Regal and Goldust, and ironically enough, the gimmick match that was selected was trading places, in which point Regal would have to dress like Goldust, and Goldust would have to dress like Regal. Initially, I thought this was going to be a trade wreck, 
But I'll tell you this, it was definitely very funny. One of the more entertaining matches of the night, of course, that's also up there with Sheamus fighting John Morrison in a Falls Count Anywhere match. John Morrison, uh, they're definitely uh, playing up his parkour practicing background. Really great match from those two guys. John Morrison looked awesome in that match. Definitely showing that they're kind of moving him up the ladder, definitely into the upper mid-card or main event status. So definitely great performance from Sheamus and Morrison. I really enjoyed the match. Um, definitely some really great spots from John Morrison as well. Uh, the Chris Jericho came out. He put a chair in the middle of the ring. He was complaining because he was not in the six-pack challenge, um, at which point the general manager said that he would put him back in the six-pack challenge if he can beat the Hart Dynasty in a handicapped steel cage match. Another solid match. It was really good. Uh, great finish with uh, Tyson Kidd doing a top row Huracan Rana on Jericho, which was countered into the walls of Jericho. Definitely a really close, close way to pull that match off, because I actually thought Tyson Kidd hit his head attempting to Huracan Rana and getting caught with the walls of Jericho, but definitely a solid match. Uh, Gold Regal and Regal Dust, the trading places match, hilarious just because Gold Dust came out dressed as William Regal. He even resorted to using the brass knuckles, which William Regal is known to use, and ended up punching Regal with them and getting the pinfall. As short as it was, it was amusing just because it was so well done, and the, both guys mimicking the mannerisms of their opponent was hilarious. The main event was Randy Orton versus John Cena in a tables match. Um, of course, any main event usually on Raw ends with some sort of interference. This one had tons of it. You had the guys from the Nexus come and interfere, and they got a whole bunch of RKOs. Edge and Jericho interfered. Um, the, end of, the end of the match actually came with John Cena attempting to do the attitude adjustment on Randy Orton, and Randy Orton countered that into the RKO. So Randy Orton ended up winning... Uh, the match, and of course it makes him look strong going into Night of Champions, which makes everybody think that Randy Orton is probably going to win. I really don't think so. I definitely think they may go with either Jericho or possibly, possibly putting the belt on John Cena again and then having The Miz cash it in. Don't know how it's going to go, but I definitely see if Orton wins, I can see The Miz trying to cash it in as well, just because... You know, Orton fought, fought five other wrestlers. He's going to be exhausted. So definitely a, a good pay-per-view to watch, but Night of Champions hasn't always been one of those pay-per-views to deliver, so I'm not holding my hopes up. But definitely solid for Monday Night Raw for once. Chad Ochocinco wasn't bad, not too bad at all. Let's talk some other wrestling news. Uh, John Cena's newest movie, Legendary was the WWE film's newest release, which was going, going to be a limited release in theaters. And, of course, limited because probably nobody wanted to watch this movie. I've heard, you know, decent things about it. Some people said it was, you know, uh, just another stroke job to push John Cena into the main event, you know, into the masses, uh, into the eyes of the masses. But, nonetheless, the numbers definitely reflected that. It made $135,210 playing in 177 theaters. That's good for number 12 on the limited release chart. That means on average they made $764 per theater. So with a limited release, definitely well below what WWE Films was hoping for this production. 
Um, unfortunately, we had a wrestling death uh, earlier this week. Mike Shaw, who wrestled in WCW and WWF, passed away at the age of 53. He was trained by Killer Kowalski, and um, he wrestled in WCW during the 80s as Norman the Lunatic, which is just awful, as awful as it sounds. But you may remember him if you watched WWF back in the day as playing Bastion Booger. I actually remember that. He used to be a, a really big, bald guy, and he'd, you know, he'd pick his nose and he'd come out with the most dirtiest fucking ring attire ever. Um, definitely unfortunate. You know, he passed away at the age of 53. They didn't release a cause of death, but, you know, once I find out, I'll let you guys know. So definitely uh, my condolences to Mike Shaw's family um, in the passing of Bastion Booger. Moving on, Matt Hardy was sent home from SmackDown's European tour recently, and of course, this has led to a huge amount of shit going on on Twitter and on the on, on Newsday and all over the place. Basically, what happens is Matt Hardy was sent home. This is now the second time because he wasn't fit to perform. I don't know if he was drunk. I don't know if he was uh, drugged up. I don't know if they just felt he'd gotten too fat. Who knows? Needless to say, he got sent home twice. When the internet reported that he got sent home, Matt Hardy disputed that and even put up a video on YouTube showing that he was still in the UK. Needless to say, WWE called bullshit and told Newsday that they did send him home twice. Now, of course, he's been on Twitter lately talking about, you know, just putting real ominous tweets. I don't know what's going on. Hopefully it's nothing drug-related. Matt Hardy's a... He's a really interesting wrestler just because he really has the potential to be really great. But for some reason, it seems that him and and his brother Jeff, I would consider them each half a wrestler. Um, they be they, they only function perfectly when they're together as a tag team. Bas- the only reason I say it is because Jeff Hardy's the more um, I'd say the more popular with his varied offense, but Matt Hardy is better on the microphone. But together, you know, Jeff Hardy's shit on the microphone. He is awful. But together as a tag team, their strengths really mesh together well. I mean, obviously because they're brothers, but just because they hide each other's weaknesses as well. So I really hope that Matt Hardy isn't going through a lot of crazy shit because I don't want to see another fucking headline. And I know WWE is hesitant on releasing him because they know he'll end up in TNA, at which point TNA will put him back with Jeff Hardy. And, you know, they're just going to fucking rape that for all it's worth because the Hardy Boys are still a viable tag team and there's still money to be made. So definitely wishing Matt Hardy the best. Hopefully he can handle his personal business and not get the can from the WWE. Linda McMahon, of course, running for Senate. Uh, Quinnipiac University released a poll recently that shows that Linda McMahon has cut the Attorney General's Richard Blumenthal's lead down to six points. As of today, Blumenthal is ahead 51 to 45 among those likely to vote. Of note, 53 of the 53% of people voting for Linda McMahon are admittedly pro-McMahon, while 42% have stated that they're supporting McMahon because they're anti-Blumenthal. Definitely interesting to see if a McMahon will make it into the Senate. Also announced this week that Triple H was accepting a uh, WWE executive position. I don't know if that means that he will no longer be on television or if he will ever be back. But I think that him moving into the front office, he can definitely... The guy eats, sleeps, and breathes wrestling. I'm more than sure he'll have a lot to offer in a front office position. Not only that, but in all honesty, I haven't missed him being on fucking Raw every week. 
They're talking about tonight, the game, uh, he's going to fight John Cena, and blah, blah, blah for 20 minutes. So I don't miss that. I really don't. Last bit of news, Sean Waltman, better known as X-Pac, better known as Six-Pac, better known as the one 2 3 kid was arrested in New Jersey when he was caught trying to take marijuana onto a plane with him. The former X-Pac was booked on possession on Sunday at Newark International Airport. According to his rep, Waltman was robbed the night before at a party, which means he didn't have an ID. The lack of ID led to an extensive search where the TSA found a joint on him. Waltman was booked and released from custody on Sunday night. All right, with that, that wraps up the wrestling for this week. We're going to take another quick commercial break. We're going to talk video games right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some video games first. Call of Duty, of course, one of the most popular franchises for first-person shooters, has gone on record as saying that they will not be trying to do any type of online passes for their games. Uh, Treyarch studio head Mark Lamia said that players won't have to worry about using a pass to play multiplayer in Call of Duty Black Ops. He said, we are not trying to do that. You won't see that in Call of Duty Black Ops. The multiplayer comes with the game you buy. You don't have to do anything else for that. I want to take that in the other direction and bring consumers really great reasons to keep their games rather than trade them in. Multiplayer is critical to the success of this series. It has such tremendous staying power. There are millions of people playing Call of Duty every day. It's entertaining people on a magnitude that's mind-blowing. And we really work hard to make sure it's supported for a long time. He added to keep players from trading the game in, that they were working on supporting the game for the long term. That's going to be one of those things that we are going to be focusing on the, the most. He said we're going to support the hell out of Black Ops. That will be our focus post-release, making sure we keep our fans engaged, and hopefully as a result, they'll want to keep our game and won't want to trade it in. I think if you guys have been by MyTakeRadio.com recently, you'll see a post that Josh wrote about um, this particular instance with online passes and, and having to pay for extras. He wrote a really great article on it, so to not elaborate on it further and move things along, I definitely recommend you guys check that out on MyTakeRadio.com because it was definitely a great article. And, of course, share your comments. I'm sure Josh would love to hear what you guys have to say about his take on the used gaming industry. Activision officially announced a new title coming out called Blood Drive, which is going to be a combat driving game with zombies. The game sees you as as a driver on a TV show competing to kill other players and take out zombies. These aren't your typical everyday zombies. You're going to have zombie frat boys, zombie cops, zombie strippers, and zombie bachelorette partiers. The game obviously is going to be rated M for Mature. You'll be able to play Blood Drive from Activision in November on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Last week I talked a bit about the MPD numbers, and I wanted to get into them a little bit more just because there were a couple of other titles that creeped into the top 20 that I really wanted to discuss, of course, 
Madden was number one uh, and number two, respectively, 360 being number one, PS3 being number two. Mario Galaxy 2 was in there at number three, Mafia 2. New Super Mario Brothers for the DS and the Wii were five and six. Mafia 2 on the PS3 was seven. Eight was Modern Warfare on the 360. NCAA Football 11 was nine, and Wii Fit Plus was ten. But here's, here's some crazy shit for the remaining top 20 titles. At number 11, Just Dance for the Wii came back into the into the count you know into the MPD roundup. Red Dead Redemption of course was 12, Pokemon Soul Silver was 13, Madden NFL for the PlayStation 2 was at 14, and Matt and NCAA Football 11 for the PS2 was number 15. What the fuck is that? Wipeout for the Wii was number 16, Mario Kart the fuck is that? Mario Kart was 17. Dragon Quest 9 was 18. Modern Warfare 2 on the PS3 was 19. And Mario Kart DS was 20. So there's definitely a lot of old titles that people are still buying. It's insane how much Mario is on this list. Got Mario Galaxy 2, both new Super Mario Brothers, and Mario Kart for the Wii and the DS. These are games that have been, oh my god, it bugs me out that these are that these older titles just just creep right back in there. It's like how many people haven't played this shit already? I mean, I can understand if you're buying the new consoles, but damn, that's a little that's a little wild, man. Those numbers. In some THQ release news, they actually put out a, a calendar that said that the Red Faction Armageddon will be having a slight delay. The game initially was supposed to be released March 2011, but they're pushing it to May. Other titles coming out in March, of course, are probably going to be Dragon Age 2 and a 3DS launch. So I, I have a feeling that THQ doesn't want to lose any market share with Armageddon and wants to give it a better release schedule, which I can see, or they may be just polishing off the game. So for those of you that are Red Faction fans, you're going to have to wait till May 2011. Now, this bit of news is, you know, take it with a, with a grain of salt and speculation, but... Obviously, you know that the PlayStation 3s that are released now no longer have backwards compatibility. We all know that. You can get backwards compatibility on certain 80-gig PS3s and on 60-gig PS3s, which have it built in and are, are, are considered by many to be the best for playing PS2 games. Well, Sony recently filed a patent for an add-on that will allow you to play PlayStation 2 games on your PS3 systems now. The external attachment is said to have its own CPU, DVD decoder and emulator, sound and graphics processors. The attachment would, atta would connect via USB or some other connector. No idea how legit this is. All I know is that a patent has been filed, so definitely something worth watching, especially for you, you guys that have, you know, the PS3 Slim and some of the newer consoles and a fat stack of PS2 games. You can definitely check that out for sure. Um, wow, what happened with my notes? Hold on a second while I refresh. Capcom also announced at the Tokyo Game Show that our buddy Frank West will be making an appearance in the upcoming Dead Rising 2 epilogue. In an epilogue titled Dead Rising 2 Case West, which will be downloadable only, and it will be exclusive to the, to the Xbox 360, you'll be able to have... Um, 
Chuck Green and Frank West working together in some capacity. So exclusive for the 360, you'll be getting Dead Rising 2 Case West. So something definitely to keep an eye on in the near future. It's funny that I see that Slick is talking about the Devil May Cry Dante redesign because actually that's the next bit of news. Of course, Devil May Cry is getting a reboot. The new game titled DMC is the fifth game in the series and it's going to be developed by Ninja Theory. Based on the trailer I've seen, they're going with a, a new, completely new look for Dante. Um, he seems to have a sword or a spear of some sort that transforms into other weapons. In addition to that, he has his trademark guns, but no longer the white-haired heartthrob that we all know him as, but he actually has black hair. He looks a little bit grungy. Um, in part of the trailer, you see him in an asylum where the, he's being asked who he is, and he's killing these monsters that kind of look like uh, the, the ink bad guy from the Tenshi Muyo films. Uh, definitely interesting for sure. I'm not going to sit here. I know a lot of people have been negative and have been like, oh, you know, it's fucking stupid, and this is totally different. It's a fucking reboot. As such, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be changes. It's a reboot. Shit happens. Uh, you know, I, you're watching a trailer, realistically, you're watching a trailer that, I don't know, it's fucking, you know, two minutes of your life. And you're coming up with these crazy themes and these crazy scenarios about how this game is going to suck. Don't get me wrong. It's not something that looks like it should be for everybody. It looks a little bit too far gone than what people are used to. But you know what? What else is there to do with the Devil May Cry franchise? I mean, when you introduce Nero, who for all intents and purposes was Dante Light, it, it, I really felt that they were grasping at straws. So I think maybe this is what the franchise needs to stay relevant, and, and it, maybe it needs a shot in the arm. And why not? I mean, you've got other titles like Darksiders, Bayonetta to an extent, and other great hack-and-slash titles that are coming out that kind of just, dis, you know, are, are well beyond being better than some of the last Devil May Cry games. And as such, maybe the reboot is what it needs. That's, I mean, if you look at them, you know, the new Dante looks like something you'd see in, you know, a square game. He looks like 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 an RPG kind of a dude, like the RPG uh, bad guy or the RPG tweener that joins your group and you don't really know if he's 100% good or 100% bad. That's what he looks like. I, I mean, again, the design, hit and miss for some people, but I really am looking forward to seeing what Ninja Theory is going to do in regards to keeping the gameplay fresh, but also keeping it not too, not too different than what people are used to. That way they can embrace the title, you know, quickly and look past the whole reboot thing. I'm going to be watching this just because I want to see more gameplay footage. Trailers are one of those things that they're great and they generate a buzz, but, you know, it's all cinematics and pretty shit. I want to see gameplay. I want to see, you know, real gameplay, either somebody holding a controller or me staring at a TV or something to come up with a full assessment. Until then, you can check out the trailer on MyTakeRadio.com if you want to check out Dante's new look. Epic Mickey, of course, we've been talking about it for months now. The upcoming game will be coming out before Christmas, and there is a release date for it. You'll be able to pick that up November 30th. If you're in Europe, you'll get it November 25th. Um, actually, yeah, you'll be getting it on the 25th. There's going to be a regular edition and a collector's edition. 
the collector's edition is coming with a Mickey figurine, epic Mickey skins for the Wii, and a behind-the-scenes DVD. So if you've been looking forward to Epic Mickey, you don't have much to wait. November 30th is your day. For those of you that are playing Halo Reach, which is probably a shitload of you, I'm not one of them, and are owning, and are owners of a 4 gig 360 Slim, get ready because you're going to have some problems if you're picking up Halo Reach. According to numerous players, the 4 gig of internal memory that the system has is not you know, it's not, an, it's not a hard drive, so the game keeps popping out saying that a hard drive is required when they try to go online for online co-op. Adding a flash drive hasn't been helping either. One or more players do not have certified Xbox 360 hard drive attached, so some multiplayer aspects of Halo Reach will require a hard drive. Bungie, of course, is already on top of the situation and is looking on a fix to solve the problem. Until then, those of you that have the 4-gig internal memory slim consoles will only be able to play campaign by themselves along with competitive multiplayer. No online co-op. So, bummer for those of you that, uh, you know, had to go with the lower-grade slim model, but just an FYI, if you do own that console and you're going to pick it up, be ready to deal with some bullshit. So, my recommendation, get yourself a hard drive, or if you're on the fence about picking up a 360, shell out the extra money, and get the one with the hard drive if you want to play Halo. <sighs> you know, it's always something, but I'll tell you this much. Halo is kicking ass. The Halo Reach franchise has generated over $200 million in sales across the, Uf- the U.S. and Europe within the first 24 hours of its release. You know, that's, that, that's, that's movie box office money for a game that's $60 movie box office money in 24 hours. Microsoft is just sitting there just counting back. You think that Halo Reach is going to be the last Halo game? With $200 million in 24 hours, you really think Halo Reach is going to be the last game? You must be high off your ass if you think that it will be the last game. They're going to squeeze Master Chief's balls and get another game out of them if it's the last thing they do. Even if it's fucking Master Chief in suspended animation and you playing as Cortana, as long as it has Halo in it and it has multiplayer and, you know, Spartan armors of some sort, the shit's going to sell. And with $200 million in the bank in 24 hours, it's a no-brainer. For those of you that are Rock Band fans, there's some new information for Rock Band 3. You're going to be able, of course, to use pro guitars and as such, you're going to be able to use a pro guitar or a pro bass, which will open up new different levels of difficulty. You're going to get a pro mode, and you're also going to have an expert pro mode, which is going to allow you to play all the notes and chords that the actual song has. So definitely something to look forward to for those of you that are legitimate um, musicians and want to use pro guitars on Rock Band 3. You'll be able to actually play the songs with the actual notes and chords. So definitely something that I, I really want to see that, not personally, because I'm not really a big rock band player, but I really would like to see somebody play the game with pro instruments. It should be interesting to see for sure. APB by Real Time Worlds, a lot of fanfare. I remember when it was first coming out, a lot of uh, friends of the show were talking really positive about it. They were really looking forward to it, but it just hasn't caught on. It just hasn't done well. As such... The MMO will be shutting down. Community officer Ben Bateman said that APB has been a fantastic journey, but unfortunately that journey has to come to a premature end. The servers that are still up 
will, you know, be available for a, li- for a limited time for people that want to get one last go, and then they're going to shut them down. It's unfortunate. APB had a ton of potential, but it just didn't catch on. It's unfortunate, but what can you do? I mean, you know, an MMO of, of that nature you would have expected to catch on didn't. I guess people, people just, you know, unless it's fucking World of Warcraft or StarCraft, they don't want to hear about it, or Diablo. It is what it is. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some THQ news. Um, obviously, the last few months I've talked about my dislike for the online pass functionality that's been coming out with a lot of titles. One title that frustrated me with it was UFC Undisputed, and the reason is I bought the game new. They don't give you a chance to, to read the menu, and when you hit OK to load the game, it actually charges you Microsoft points or money for the um, online content, which, of course, THQ addressed, and they refunded me my points. But, you know, it's, it's real unfortunate that it, so many publishers want to go in this direction. THQ actually acknowledged it a little bit, and um, they actually want to work with used game stores about it. Uh, THQ CEO Brian Farrell spoke recently about the controversial online pass feature in UFC Undisputed 2010 which, like I said, required people who bought the game used to spend an extra $10 in order to play online. He believes the information um, was valuable because it showed that the title underperformed at retail. He said the following, What we saw and when we did the online charge for the second purchaser of USC was we found a pretty good attachment rate. It confirmed our suspicion that a lot of people are participating in used games. Really, dude, we're in a recession. Of course they're going to buy used games. Moving on, it is one of those things of how much money could you have made if it wasn't for piracy or used games. It's a tough, it's a tough question because you don't know. He did add that he, THQ is working with GameStop and Game in the UK to work on the lost revenue issue. He wants retails and publishers to work together saying, retail is now thinking about how they can participate in downloadable content and some of these second user charges that we're doing. We're not trying to push retail aside. We just need to monetize because it is our investment. I, I can't argue that. Like I said, I always look at it from both sides. But th- there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. It's, it's really stupid, especially if it's something where, you know, you're already trying to save a little money, a little coin, and you go and you buy a used game. And, you know, you want to get a couple of matches in online, even if it's five matches. And you've got to pay 10 bucks for that functionality. It's a load of shit. Like I said, though, Josh broke it down really well, so check out his article on MyTakeRadio.com. Um, in some EA news, EO, EA CEO uh, John Ricciatello is blaming the media over the Medal of Honor issue, which I talked about last week, which is that the game has been criticized for allowing players to play as the Taliban. He actually acknowledged this controversy and said, the controversy kind of caught me by surprise. He mentioned that the public beta was live for several weeks, and no one noticed until a journalist decided to put the game box in front of a mom who lost her son in Afghanistan to create some controversy. I think that says more about the newspaper than it does about the game industry. Richitello quickly added that he was not looking to blame the mother. Having said that, we're incredibly sensitive to the challenges that a non-gamer who doesn't really understand what I've just described might imagine when a journalist who also doesn't understand the game describes it to her. It tends to incite a little bit of angst. Nonetheless, Richatello mentioned that he does not expect Medal of Honor to challenge Black Ops or Halo Reach in terms of sales. 
we expect a significant increase in our share in the first-person shooter market this year. In, in, it's 2011, and we've always, we've always felt that we can have a reasonable shot at recapturing the leadership. And from what we said till 2011, that now seems possible. You know, this I understand, and, and I have to agree to an extent, the media is 100% full of shit. I'll tell you why, and, and I'll give a perfect example. Earlier today, we had some real inclement weather here in New York, and there was a tornado in the Queens and Brooklyn area. Needless to say, you know, my fiancé is home now with no power, and um, a lot of businesses have no power. There's trees, down power lines, the works. You know, when a tornado hits an area, you know, that's the kind of shit that happens. But you know what happens? The news go out of their way to make it seem like it's the fucking apocalypse. And they're praying. The, new, the media is praying that somebody's, like, impaled on a fucking tree because that's what they want. They want the shock value. They're like, you want to know what's happening in your area? Check back in five minutes, and we'll tell you how you can contact Con Edison if you have no power. That's what they do. They do real shitty moves like that. So I can, I can really see some journalist going, hey, check this out. The Taliban is in this game. How do you feel about that? Didn't you just recently lose your son in Iraq or Afghanistan? As a parent and as, you know, as, as a person who, who's raising children, I can understand, you know, the, the type of, of heartbreak that something like that would incite, especially when, when it's, a, it's a mother who recently lost a, a son. And you tell them, hey, they're, they're advocating and glorifying that you can pray, play as the Taliban. You know, especially if you're a novice and you're uneducated at games, I can see that tugging at the heartstrings and doing some damage. But you know what? On the same note, you got to wake the fuck up. Playing as the bad guy has happened in first-person shooters for years. There's games where you can play as the Nazis. There's been games where you can play as the Viet Cong. In fucking Halo, you can play as the aliens instead of as the Spartans. It's just the way shit is. I can understand the heartbreak and how that affects but to go out of your way and bend over backwards and make it seem like the, like the company's vilifying the Taliban is a complete and utter load of horseshit. I don't think it's right that the media should sit there and not get their facts straight. Because if they went to EA, EA would say, hey, well, you know, we spoke. And not for nothing, too, EA should have just fucking interviewed the soldiers. They should have just said, hey... We had a focus group of 500 soldiers that play-tested the games for free. You can go to any armed forces center and find soldiers that are gamers and let them play the game and tell them, hey, you can play as the Taliban. How do you feel about that? I guarantee you if EA would have been armed with facts, they wouldn't be fucking bending over and taking it in the ass right now. They would say the following. We spoke to a panel of 500 soldiers, and we felt that we wanted to know from America's troops if they were offended that you were able to play as the Taliban and were able to go against American forces. That's it. And whether if the soldiers would have said, you know, man, it's a little fucking touchy because it's, so, it's something that's going on, you know, maybe you guys shouldn't put it in there. At least you're getting the news from the source. You're not getting the news from some asshole reporter who needed to, who, to generate a scoop and decided to fuck everybody else over. In SOCOM, you played as the terrorists. Nobody said shit. In other games that I've played that are first person, you play as the fucking bad guys. 
all of a sudden now it's taboo? What the fuck? Nobody says shit about, you know, Al Jazeera promoting terrorism on the fucking internet in an open forum. This game isn't promoting terrorism. It's just giving you the dynamic to play as a bad guy. What the fuck is wrong with that? I swear, we're, we're, our country is full of fucking pussies and scumbags, and the media likes to perpetuate that. And, you know, I can sit here and get on my, on my pulpit and shit on the media, but it's just real unfortunate because right now they can't sell the game in any places where the armed forces are. And these guys need all the distraction and enjoyment they can get. I'm more than sure, like I said, it would not be that big of a deal. And if there are any members of the U.S. Armed Forces that agree or disagree, by all means, feel free to email or call into the show in any of the episodes and state your case. I really think that with proper information, if EA would have armed themselves, it wouldn't have come to this point. It is what it is. I want to acknowledge um, some news that happened recently um, just something that, a very touching story, and, and, you know, you can do what you can to help, but I will discuss it in, in detail, and I'm going to actually reference the article from Yahoo.com. Uh, Brian Wood, uh, he was a game developer for Relic Entertainment, um, actually was driving home when his car was, stri- was stricken by a Chevy Trailblazer that was driven by a 21-year-old woman who was drunk. He had his pregnant wife with him in the passenger seat, he swerved his car directly into the path of the SUV, a decision, of course, that cost his life but protected his wife and unborn child from harm. Two other passengers that were riding in the blazer were also killed. Nonetheless, you know, it was real unfortunate what happened. The guy sacrificed his life to save his wife and his unborn child, and, you know, it's, it's real unfortunate. But nonetheless, as a gamer and, you know, as... as as somebody, again, with, with children in my life, you know, these sacrifices are huge, but they actually set up a memorial trust, and, you know, a lot of game developers, journalists, and fans posted links on Twitter and Facebook, um, and there's been tons of supportive comments. His wife actually has gotten a lot of donations and a lot of stuff, and, you know, she said in the statement that, you know, from all the articles and comments to the emails and donations, I'm simply stunned and so touched by the love, kindness, and generosity shown to me and my family. At the time of his death, Brian Wood was working on Company of Heroes Online, a free-to-play version of Relic's award-winning strategy game, which is currently in open beta test. Nonetheless, if you do want to um, assist his family or make a donation, of course, I will be putting up a link on the uh, My Take Radio fan page for the Brian Wood Memorial Trust. So, you know, if you want to help out in that respect, by all means, you can check out the Brian Wood Memorial Trust. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk some movies right after this. BornSouthern.com Extremely short commercial. We now return to your regular schedule program, Mike Take Radio. Rich, take it away. All right, let's talk some movies. I think I saw... That slick was calling in. I don't know. Let me refresh my uh, my switchboard. I guess not. All right, let's talk some movies. Let's open up with some box office totals first. Resident Evil Afterlife. Gee, who would have thunk? Number one at the box office, $26.7 million. Takers was number two, 5.6. The American, well, 5.68. The American 5.67 uh, gross has made 47.7 for takers, and the American has made 
almost 28 million, well, $28.1 million. Machete, $4.2 million. Number four on the list, 20.9 overall. Going the distance was number five. The other guys was number six. The last exorcism was seven. The expendables was eight. Eat, Pray, Love was nine. And Inception still holding on, $2.8 million at 10. Obviously, with Resident Evil making a shit ton of money, Mila Jovovich already is talking about going into a fifth one. She said the following, The new Resident Evil is the first one to ever open at number one worldwide. It's the biggest movie in the franchise, so we're definitely going to make another one. We've been talking to a lot of fans on Twitter and stuff, so it's probably going to be one of the first movies where we really talk to the fans to see what they want and what characters they want to see. It's going to definitely be more of an interactive process. Look, I, I want to acknowledge this completely and, and forthright. The movie made a fuckload of money. But when you have it in 3D IMAX and the tickets are 20-something dollars, you can, you can read Slick's review of Resident Evil Afterlife on MyTakeRadio.com. And, and, you know, tickets were dough. He paid 20, I think he paid 20-something or close to 20 bucks to go see this movie. At 20 bucks a head for 3D IMAX, you know, especially since they touted the movie as being filmed in revolutionary 3D, you knew it. It, it was a no-brainer it was going to be number one. A no-brainer. So, you know, the fact that you're sitting there, that's why these box office totals, I really sometimes want to add a fucking asterisk. Because it's like, if it's 3D and it's IMAX, the, the ticket prices are fucking higher. So, yeah, it's number one and all, and it probably would have been number one regardless. But it should be number one with an asterisk, and you should note in there, you know, IMAX figures and 3D figures apply. It's such a crock of shit. Now, they just blindly say, yeah, this movie's number one. Yeah, but when you're paying that much money for a ticket while everybody else is paying 10 bucks, of course it's going to be number one. Well, let's bring Slick on and see what he's got for this evening. Slick, what do you got, my friend? What's up, man? <clears throat> Nothing much. Um, just like, yeah, I said the same thing about the Resident Evil movie because... The last one opened at 23.7 million. This one opened at 26.7. But I paid 18 bucks to go see that shit to see it in IMAX and 3D. So it's like, really? Did you really make more money than Extinction? I don't think so. Fewer people went to see it if you only made 26.7 million, and they're paying like anywhere from 16 to 20 something dollars to see it. Well, they probably paid less than half of that last time. I mean, for the money I, I paid to see it, I could almost get the damn Blu-ray when it comes out. But um, Yeah, that's really crazy, man. And I, You paid that much money. It's true. For four bucks more, you could have bought the Blu-ray. It's weird because, like I said, I, I, I knew that I was going to write the review on it, so I watched the, the first three movies because I hadn't seen all of them. I watched them again, like, a few days before I saw Afterlife, and it's like, I like the, the, the overall story. I like the main character. And when I watched the movie, it's like, I was all right with it when I watched it, but then it was like, when I came home, after I, after I had seen it and I came home, it's like, how you feel after you eat White Castle? You're like, what the fuck did I just do? It's like, it's like they were just 
so many things wrong with that movie. I'm like, you get people complaining all over the place about, you know, how terrible the Resident Evil movies are. I'm like, but you people keep going to see it. This is very true. Mila Jovovich said it herself. She looked like, if people weren't going to see it, it wouldn't have been a fourth movie, and we wouldn't be talking about making a fifth movie. It's number one because people make it number one. So really, I mean, I'm I'm going nuts over it because, you know, I went to see it for purposes of writing a review. But people are just going to see these movies. So really, why the fuck are you complaining? You want to know what the thing is, though? This is how I see it. Resident Evil movies are in the... I apply this to pretty much all video game flicks. They're either really shitty, marginally passable, or completely abysmal. You know, like there's, there's abysmal, there's shitty, and there's passable. There's not good, great, and badass. It doesn't happen. You know? You've got to look at it like this. We watched Prince of Persia, a passable flick. You know, it was good, but it was good on a passable level. It wasn't badass, but it was good. The Resident Evil movies fall into that category as well. For the hardcore purists and Resident Evil fans, there's enough acknowledgement in there where you can bring in those fans and you can go, oh, shit, look, it's Nemesis. Oh, look, it's Claire Redfield. Oh, look, it's Chris. Oh, look, it's a tyrant, you know, because they know what that is. But to the average theater goer who's not a gamer, they're just like, oh, isn't that that movie based on that game? It is. That's what it is, you know. It's really just a glorified zombie flick. It's just zombie. Put it like this. It's pretty much Zombieland with better effects and a video game tie-in, you know, and no humor. That's all it is. It's basically a, it's a zombie flick you know, disguised in, in video game rapping. So, of course, casuals are going to go and see it, and they're going to help contribute to the movie's success. Video game movies are never fucking Oscar-worthy performances. They're good enough to, you know, to, to, for a quick shot in the arm for the box office, and if they make back their budget or go over a little bit, then automatically it's successful. Obviously, when you're charging 20 bucks a fucking ticket, it's going to be successful, especially when you know, oh, shot in the same revolutionary style as Avatar. You know that those buzzwords, you know, you know, 3D, Avatar, as soon as you say IMAX, IMAX is the equivalent of you getting a hand job from a Playboy Playmate. It's so awesome until you're done. When you're done, you walk out with a headache and, and your pocket's significantly lighter. That's what IMAX is. IMAX is that glorified buzzword that only works for certain movies. It works for movies like Transformers. It works for movies like Batman, The Dark Knight. Those movies benefit from that. What the fuck do you need from a 20-foot zombie head getting blown apart by a shotgun? The 3D, I can understand. That's fine. But really, the fucking IMAX? Who gives a shit? No, the 3D, I have to say the 3D was really well done. I mean, that was probably the biggest highlight of the movie. And Paul W.S. Anderson 
is passable. I'm only giving him passable as a writer, but as a director, he should never ever touch a movie again. He's <laughs> only he's only a fraction of a step above Uwe Boll. Yeah, wow. stop stop and think about that for a second, people. Ninety five percent of that fucking movie was in slow motion. You can't call a movie an action movie if everything is moving fucking turtle slow. Oh, they yeah, they were using a lot of bullet time. I'm like, there was shit that was in bullet time that just didn't even make any sense to, to be in bullet time. Bullet time is to accentuate something that you might have missed. Fucking Ellie Larder running at a fucking gigantic psychopath with a hammer axe. Them just charging each other doesn't need to be in slow motion. This is true. Because you're not missing anything. I'll tell you what, though. Life as, life as we know it would be a lot more awesome if, uh, if a lot of things were in slow motion. And I know I'm borrowing from Dave Chappelle, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. It's true. Think about it. Think about you taking the train to work, running for the door before it closes, and visualize that in 3D. Isn't it fucking awesome versus regular where you're running, you're a sweaty mess, and the door closes and the train pulls away and the conductor laughs at you and waves goodbye? In slow-mo, it's just so much more cool. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the sex scenes in movies. Like, don't get me wrong, all the fast ones look really awesome, but, like, the real slow-mo ones, you're like, oh, shit, you think it's the greatest thing ever. It, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the necessity for slow-mo, bullet time, fucking IMAX, 3D, it's just beautiful little tricks used to hide certain flaws. That's all it is. And for Resident Evil, Resident Evil will always be a passable zombie flick that will only get by on the merit of people either hardcore being in love with Mila Jovovich or finding gimmicky ways to get new audiences in there. That's all. Yeah, and when the whole movie's in bullet time, those little flaws become huge flaws that you get a lot of extra time, a lot of extra time to pay attention to and really pick apart. Like, wow, an eight-foot-tall, 400-pound dude with a gigantic fucking axe just snuck up on three people. Really? That is utterly ridiculous. That's like... That's like <laughs> That's like you know what? Put it. That's like a grizzly bear tiptoeing through a minefield. What the fuck is that? And the worst part about it is, it's not like he was even carrying the shit. He was he dragging it, it across the floor, and you hear this fucking loud ass scraping sound. Yeah. But he snuck up on three people. Oh, yeah, well, you know, like I said, you know, when you do film reviews, I really enjoy it because you go into the meat and potatoes of the matter. I try to watch shit really casual, and then I hit you guys with a fucking deep review because everything comes in after the fact. It's like a delayed reaction. Like, I'm watching a movie, and I'm staring at it, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's kind of great. Oh, that's badass. Oh, that's bullshit. And then I fucking, it's like, a, it's like a human computer in my skull just going to work until it spits out your, my final thoughts. 
it's like, so what'd you think of that movie? No, sir, I didn't like it. You know, it's like, it's like that's that's what happens. It's Resident Evil is like that. You can watch the whole franchise from start to finish, and you're gonna be like, "Yeah, it was all right." Or you might just turn around and go, "Cool story, bro," and that's it. That's really it. It's it's you know it's, it's something. It's 90 minutes of passing the time that, for me personally, isn't worth 20 bucks. But I'd pay it just because of the whole IMAX thing. Because, like I said, I'm one of the sheep that falls for that. And I admit that. I'd be like, oh, I want to go see this fucking giant shotgun with a shell flying out of the screen and possibly leaving me deaf and or blind at the same time. Fuck it. Well, that's all I got for now. And just just for for Joy joining the show tonight, the remainder of my take radio will be a bullet time. There you go. The remainder of the show, slow-mo and bullet time, folks. All right, bro. Thanks for your call. All right, later. Later. All right. We got, some, we got some crazy ones. Let me talk about this first nugget of TV news. Deadline is reporting that James Cameron is planning to develop and produce a TV series based off the 1994 film True Lies. Cameron will work with Rene Echevarria, the creator of the 4400. Of course, in True Lies, Arnold Schwarzenegger played Harry Tasker, a regular guy who was you know, leading a double life at a spy, unbeknownst to his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis. Blah, 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 blah. Casper accidentally pulls into his secret battle with Middle Eastern terrorists, and the whole shindig gets exposed. Needless to say, that being turned into a TV show, it, I think it would do good on a network like USA. I don't think broadcast television will be too cool with that, because there's a thousand other shows, cop shows and FBI shows that, definitely are probably well, well, more well thought out than a True Lies TV show would be. But you never know. We'll see what happens. I definitely am going to be watching that and see what network that ends up on because that, my friends, is going to dictate what kind of success the show has overall. In some Lord of the Ring news, Ian McKellen recently revealed that he will be reprising his role as Gandalf in The Hobbit. He says that the film plans to begin filming in January. He is currently working on a documentary about the British painter, L.S. Lowry. Here's a good one. I actually am really looking forward to this as soon as I heard it announced. According to actor Wu-Tang Clan member The RZA, he will be starring with Russell Crowe Crow in a film called The Man with the Iron Fists, which is a kung fu movie that RZA is also directing. When asked about it, he goes, RZA states, I won't spoil it for you guys, but Russell's going to be the baddest man alive. That man is in fighting shape. That man will knock you out. The film is going to start filming in Shanghai in December. Rizzo added that it's nerve-wracking. Russell Crowe is a master of his craft, and I'm quite sure that I may learn a thing or two. Crowe and Rizzo actually work together in American Gangster and as well in the upcoming next three days. Quentin Tarantino and Eli Roth are co-writing and co-producing the new film, which has a $20 million budget. Like I said, huge Kill Bill fan, the RZA does great scores. I'm a huge fan of Afro Samurai. I definitely want to see how they are able to interpret uh, Russell Crowe as a martial artist. Definitely dying to see that. You know, I mean, Russell Crowe did really good in Robin Hood. He did really good in Gladiator. Definitely, when it comes to the more physical roles, he, he, he gets really into that shit. So I'm dying to see this. Whenever, As soon as the trailer comes out, you know it'll be on mytakeradio.com for sure. In some 007 news, which puts a smile on my face, 
Deadline reports that Bond 23 is back on track. The MGM financial crisis has been resolved, and it's clearing the way for James Bond to return. Sam Mendes, who was r- rumored to direct Hunger Games, reportedly pulled out of that project due to things clearing up with MGM. Not only that, but production for Bond 23 could begin as early as this, as late summer or early fall in 2011. Sam Mendes would be in the director's chair, and Daniel Craig, of course, would be back as James Bond. So definitely something something to look forward to. I think Daniel Craig is a really good James Bond, and I think he deserved a third film, especially with the introduction of the Quantum uh, group and, you know, what they're involved in. I definitely would like to at least see that story tied up. So I'm definitely excited for that, for sure. In some Fast and Furious 5 news, better known as Fast 5, that's going to be coming out June 10th, 2011, I actually was able to get a plot synopsis for the film. Fast Five is going to have Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Jordana Brewster, uh, Ludacris, Tyrese, Soon Kang, uh, Tego Calderon, Don Omal, Joaquin Dalmeida, and, of course, The Rock is also going to be involved. They managed to get pretty much everybody from every Fast and the Furious movie except Lucas Black. Wow, I wonder why. I guess they didn't need some hillbilly hick with bad teeth trying to drive a, a Japanese import car. So definitely they got the, the, the key components for a fifth entry into the franchise, which will be released in 3D IMAX, allegedly. And of course, here's the plot. Vin Diesel and Paul Walker lead a reunion of returning all-stars from every chapter to the explosive franchise built on speed in Fast Five. In this installment, Brian O'Connor partners with ex-con Dom Toretto on the opposite side of the law. The Rock joins Jordana Brewster, Ludacris, Tyrese Gibson, and the rest of the cast for the ultimate high-stakes race. The storyline, of course, is that since Brian and Mia Toretto broke Dom out of custody, they've blown across many borders to elude authorities. Now backed into a corner in Rio de Janeiro, they must pull out one last job in order to gain their freedom. As they assemble their elite team of top racers, the unlikely allies know their only shot of getting out good means confronting the corrupt businessman who wants them dead. But he's not the only one after them. Hard-nosed federal agent Luke Hobbs, which of course is going to be played by The Rock, never misses his target. When he is assigned to track down Dom and Brian, he and his strike team launch an all-out assault to capture them. But as his men tear through Brazil, Hobbs learns that he can't separate the good guys from the bad. Now he must rely on his instincts to corner his prey before someone else runs them down first. I guarantee you with this all-star cast, they're going to make a shitload of money. But I honestly hope that with this, they close the chapter on this franchise because it's starting to get more and more ridiculous with some of the car special effects and the car porn in these movies. Like some of these cars, it's like, holy shit, man. Not only that, but it encourages, this, this franchise encourages douchey driving. Yes, Wolf actually referenced that. Yes, they encourage douchey driving. So while the movies are nice and they're fun and they're a great um, form of entertainment, some people do tend to um, try things at home that they shouldn't. Nonetheless, IMAX, June 10th, 2011, Fast Five. In some other Resident Evil news, Capcom and Sony Pictures announced that they will co-produce Resident Evil Damnation. Resident Evil Damnation will be a 3D animated adventure and the sequel to Resident Evil Degeneration. Resident Evil Degeneration had a short theatrical run in Japan, making 40 million yen. The home video release shipped more than 1.6 million copies, making the film a hit. 
The Resident Evil live, live action franchise has already grossed $370 million combined. And so far, of course, like, they, like I said earlier, Resident Evil Afterlife has already made $71 million worldwide. Resident Evil Damnation will follow Leon Kennedy as the main character and will be released in 2012. All right. A couple of months back when I was talking about Clash of the Titans, I discussed another movie that actually ended up being retitled and moved to another release date as to not complete, not compete with Clash of the Titans. That movie is the historical epic called Immortals, which will be released 11-11-11, or November 11, 2011. Uh, the movie's pretty much following uh, King Hyperion, which is played by Mickey Rourke, of all people, uh, who declares war against humanity. Um, at which point Hyperion is looking for the legendary Epirus Bow, a weapon of unimaginable power forged by the heavens, forged in the heavens by Ares. He who possesses the bow will be able to unleash the Titans, which are released, which are imprisoned deep in the walls of Mount Tartarus. And of course, a group of of heroes chosen by Zeus must unite to confront Hyperion and his hordes. Thus far, I know that Frida Pinto is in it, Stephen Dorff is in it, and Mickey Rourke. I don't know. The the lead character is going to be Theseus, and he's going to be played by Henry Cavill. Sounds interesting. Sounds sounds kind of badass. I need to see a trailer. I don't know about Mickey Rourke playing any kind of a king in fucking ancient Greece. <sighs> Who knows? We'll see how it pans out. Now, we got we got the first bit of what the fuck news for tonight's movie segment. Magnet releasing, pay attention to this, the genre arm of Magnolia Pictures announced today that it has acquired the North American rights to a movie called Chaws, a Korean monster movie about a giant pig terrorizing a countryside. Ugh. Giant Korean pig eating people. Directed by John Wong Shin, Chaws is described as a tribute to classic monster movies that has fantastically gory special effects of a giant pig attacking innocent tourists looking to pick organic vegetables. Are you fucking kidding me? I I mean, don't get me wrong, Piranha made money, but you're doing a movie about a giant flesh-eating pig. Holy shit. It's like, oh my god, my breakfast is going to eat me. If, if a giant pig was running around eating people, I guarantee you I would make sure to find the biggest gun I could, kill it, and make bacon out of that motherfucker, as well as a stuffed pork loin and a couple of other things, and sell the pig's feet to the bodega down the block. Are you kidding me? It's a fucking flesh-eating pig! How dangerous must this thing look? Is it a demon pig? Is it black? Does it have fangs? Maybe it has tusks. Maybe it has a gatling gun in its snout. Ugh. Obviously, this is going to be the start of a new trend where they're going to start importing Japanese and Korean and Chinese uh, monster movies and expecting American audiences to eat them up. It's a movie, for God's sakes, about a giant flesh-eating pig. That has disaster written all over it. That sounds like something you'd, you'd watch on sci-fi as a double feature with Sharktopus. Ugh. I want to talk a little bit about Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds actually did an interview in GQ magazine, which I wanted to, which I actually read, where he was talking about his role for Green Lantern. 
Uh, talk shifted to Deadpool, which he hopes will become a movie starring him at some point, but with the busy Green Lantern schedule, he's a bit concerned. When pressed about it, he said the following, It goes in such a different direction than a superhero movie usually goes. It's a nasty piece of work. It's just based on so much emotional filth, completely. It's like Barfly if it were a superhero movie. It sort of treads into a world of an emotionally damaged person. I always say that Deadpool is a guy in a highly militarized shame spiral. It's so different than the superhero movies to date, it departs so far from that. But he said there's a gamble to it. You're going to lose a few people right at the beginning, but you take the gamble and know that eventually you're going to win them back. You won't lose the hardcore fans of the character. They already know who he is. We have to play to a broader audience than that. As an actor, you have to be willing to do something like that. Back in Vancouver, we used to call it a nasty burger. You've got to eat the nasty burger to get to the cookies. The script for Deadpool was actually written by Zombieland's Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. You know, Deadpool is such a unique character, and I'm really impressed with Ryan Reynolds' desire to bring it to the silver screen. It's right up there with Wolverine, with Hugh Jackman and the Wolverine projects. I think that Deadpool, in order to be successful, has to continue in the genre it's going exactly like Ryan Reynolds described it, you know, just an emotional, militarized spiral of madness. Like, you have to acknowledge all those quirks. You have to make sure you have a cool costume. I think that having a bad guy is definitely going to be something of interest. And you have to let Ryan Reynolds play Deadpool the, the way we know that Deadpool is. You know, kind of weird, always talks to himself, breaks the fourth wall, all that shit. you got to kind of make sure that it captures all that. Not only that, but you definitely have to lean towards a PG-13 or, a, or an R rating. Just because Deadpool is so ultra-violent, he really is. No matter how you slice it, motherfuckers are getting shot, funny things are being said, but there's a lot of shooting going on. You can't do a PG-13 Deadpool and expect it to be successful. Like he said, you are going to lose a little bit of your audience, but it's a gamble you have to take. But you definitely got to go with an R rating for Deadpool to be successful. All right. Are you guys ready for the next bit of What the Fuck News? Are you ready? All right. Here it goes. Deadline is reporting that Kevin James, you know Kevin James from the King of Queens, Paul Blart Mall Cop Kevin James, Fat Kevin James, will be starring in an unnamed MMA-themed comedy movie. In the movie, James will play a teacher whose school faces drastic cutbacks. James tries to save his best friend's job and the music program that his students love when he moonlights in the octagon as an MMA fighter, which of course leads to him brawling in the UFC. Filming is expected to begin next year. Let me repeat that. Kevin James, Doughboy, King of Queens, that guy, Paul Blart, the Gay Fireman movie, that guy playing an MMA fighter. I hope to God that he definitely gets in shape for this movie. I cannot see chubby Kevin James trying to do MMA. I mean, he does study it from what I've heard, and that's great, and I really uh, appreciate um, his support of MMA and, you know, him being a hardcore fan and all. But really, an MMA-themed comedy movie? Ugh. By the way, props to Joylia. Thank you for the Chuck and Larry. Yes, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. 
was the Kevin James movie where he played uh, a fireman who was pretending to be gay with Adam Sandler. Thank you for that, Joy. You get the gold star for the evening. Um, uh, I don't even know where to begin. I like Kevin James. He's a funny guy. Um, Strider, I like, I like what you said. Nacho Libre, too. Definitely. It, look, this is the start of, of a sport hitting the mainstream and just all of a sudden now you've got to make movies about it. When baseball was big, you know, you had Wild Thing. You, I mean, you had a Major League. You had Angels in the Outfield, all that shit. Then football got real hardcore and you had the program and any given Sunday and blah, 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 blah. Then, you know, you do a couple of soccer movies when soccer is popular. You do a couple of movies when hockey is popular. Of course, MMA is slowly creeping into the mainstream at an alarming rate, even though the creep into the slow portions of the mainstream are in terms of sanctioning, but in terms of huge appeal, it's everywhere. I really feel that in order for MMA to continue growing, they kind of at times have to embrace shit like this because it allows people to learn a little bit more about the sport, even if it's in a humorous light. I, I, I see it, the way I see it is you have to, thanks, like, yeah, they did a, a lot of basketball flicks too. Um, the way I see it, you really have to take the good with the bad. I guarantee you there's going to be UFC guys, you know, helping out with this movie and, you know, guest starring in this movie, and that, that'll be fine. And, again, it's going to help the sport reach the masses, but at what cost? Really? Ugh, fucking Kevin James. I'm disgusted. I really am disgusted. I also want to talk about Mark Millar's upcoming project. He's working on a, uh, his directorial debut with a low-budget superhero flick that is being shot in Scotland. Uh, the movie's going to be called Miracle Park, and basically it's going to be about a group of animal rights activists who break into a low-level research laboratory to find a mile-long underground base owned and facilitated by the U.S. government. It's being described as the X-Men meets train spotting. Miracle Park, Miracle Park breaks all the taboos of superhero cinema and offers a completely new take on the genre. The movie is shot entirely on a handheld camera, establishing a tone more consistent with Paranormal Activity or The Last Exorcism than a traditional superhero release. Miracle Park is chilling, violent, and a totally new experience. Miracle Park will start, is, uh, starts where other superhero movies draw the line. So principal photography is going to be starting in October, and Millar expects to have post-production in January, when the teaser trailer will be released. Definitely something that looks interesting for sure. Um, Mark Millar, of course, he gave us kick-ass, he gave us wanted. Solid track record with these with these franchises in terms of creativity and pushing the envelope on violence from a comic standpoint. Uh, his, his directorial debut, definitely something I'm looking forward to, which leads me to something else that I'll discuss at the end of the broadcast. James Cameron is already talking about Avatar 2. He's really looking to just change the game again with this new thing he's working on. Check this out. James Cameron is looking to go no, where no director has gone before in order to get footage for Avatar 2. Cameron looks to go to Cameron. Cameron looks to go to the bottom of the sea, seven miles below sea level, to shoot sequences at the bottom of, at the bottom of the Challenger Deep in the Marina Trench east of the Philippines. This is the deepest point in the world's oceans, and only two other people have gone there. 
explorers Jacques Picard and Don Walsh. Cameron has commissioned a, a, a bespoke submarine built of high-tech, man-made composite materials and powered by electric motors, which will be capable of surviving the tremendous pressures at a depth of, 70, of seven miles. He will go there in the sub to shoot 3D footage to be incorporated into Avatar 2. Cameron plans for Avatar 2 to explore the oceans and exotic sea life on the alien world of Pandora. The design of the submarine that, will need, that he will need is not completely clear, but will li most likely resemble the $4 million Deep Flight Challenger commissioned by late American aviator and explorer Steve Fawcett in 2007. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to give credit where credit is due. James Cameron goes out of his way to capture the best shit possible to make his movies good. It is what it is. Avatar, yeah, you got blue cat monkeys and, or giant blue smurfs or whatever the fuck you want to call them, Jake Sully, you, whatever it is. But he went to such great lengths. You know, he studied uh, tribes in the jungles. He did all this stuff. He puts a lot of homework into his projects. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're passable in terms of quality. But I do admire the work he puts in. I mean, his interview on G4 with Attack of the Show opened my eyes to a guy who really believes in his projects and really goes out of his way to introduce new technology that changes the game. Don't get me wrong. His introduction to, to this new 3D technology has been good and bad, but I admire the guy for having a set of balls to go out there and try and make something different and unique. I got to give the devil his due, man, and he goes out there. This guy's willing to travel to the deepest point in the fucking ocean to get footage for a movie that you're probably paying 10 bucks for or possibly, you know, bootlegging it off the Internet. You know, I got to respect that. I got to give the man his credit. Will it be good? Who knows? Will it be fucking Fern Gully in the ocean? It might be. But I, I, can't, I can't dispute the fact that James Cameron has a set of brass balls for sure. All right. Got to give some props to my buddies at the Deadliest Warrior because of a great announcement that came out today. How they're going to do it, I don't know, but definitely cool news for sure. After a strong season two finale, Paramount Pictures has announced today that they will be working with Sean Levy's 21 Laughs Entertainment and Spike TV on a big screen adaptation of The Deadliest Warrior. The storyline of the film was not revealed. The project will see the first-time pairing of Viacom properties, Paramount and Spike TV. Sean Levy and 21 Labs president Dan Levine will produce the film and may also direct it. Obviously, everybody knows Deadliest Warrior is Spike TV's most successful original franchise. In addition to that, the Deadliest Warrior Xbox Live arcade game has been a top-selling title on Xbox Live Marketplace, selling over 190,000 units since, July's four, since the July 14th launch. How they're going to do it, I don't know. Definitely props to the you know, to the deadliest warrior for breaking through, breaking through to the other side, whether it's something that's successful or whether it's going to be something completely original, who knows. I've already reached out to Jeff from the deadliest warrior to see what he can tell me about the project. It's, it's so huge and so top secret that, you know, he can't tell me, can't tell me shit, but he said he's going to definitely keep me in the loop and I'll be one of the first people to know. So, Definitely congratulations to those guys. I mean, The Deadliest Warrior is a very entertaining and very great show. I'm not just saying that because they've been guests on the show, but I really do enjoy watching it as a fan. So definitely props to those guys, and I hope that they're all involved 
in the production of the movie in some shape, way, or form, and that it's actually something good and not some harebrained, uh, you know, kumite-type shit where they start pulling different warriors from, from a time machine and having them fight it out. Because it's, it's, so, it's so hokey. I really hope they come up with something good and intriguing so that they can actually do the property justice. So definitely congratulations to the Deadliest Warrior crew from My Take Radio, and we'll be looking forward to this project in the near future. Now, to start closing up the movie news, I, I, and I'm going to give you guys one more piece of movie news, and I've got to give you some fucking some, some what-the-fuck TV news. The last bit of movie news is screenwriter Carl Ellsworth, who did Disturbia, will be writing the screenplay for a live-action movie based on R.L. Stein's Goosebumps books. Columbia will distribute, and Neil Morris's original films will produce with Deborah Forte of Publishers Scholastic Entertainment. With a dozen books out that, have, that Goosebumps has had, it's going to be the first movie ever to be in theater. So who knows if it's going to be a Tales from the Dark Side type of compilation, or if it's going to be something completely different, but... Looks like Goosebumps is coming to the silver screen. All right. With that said, let's go into these what-the-fuck TV news. The only reason I want to talk about this stuff is because of the utter fuckery involved in it, the utter shenanigans, and the complete bullshit. First piece of news, and, and I know you guys are going to be like, why, is about the Jersey Shore. Now, I don't want to talk about the virtues or how great or how shitty the show is. I want to talk about something that really bugs me the fuck out. And it was in Us Weekly. Check this. Since these, du- since these douches have been doing this show, the following has happened. Paulie D. from the Jersey Shore charges $20,000 now to work as a DJ. The situation makes $100,000 off his appearance on Dancing with the Stars. In addition to that, he has a cologne, which I'm sure is going to be called Scent of a Douchebag, um, a workout tape, six-pack douchebags, and a supplement endorsement, Body by a Douche. No, I'm kidding. Those aren't the real names, but they should be. He's going to be making millions of dollars off of that, and he's making $100,000 for being on Dancing with the Stars. Ronnie is getting $12,000 to $20,000 to host a party. He's also working on a drink called, wait for it, Ron Ron Juice. I'm not even joking. For this guy to host a party, he is paying, somebody's paying him between $12,000 and $20,000. I don't know what's worse. Somebody paying him $12,000 to show up at a club or the fact that his juice is going to be called Ron Ron Juice. Vinny gets $6,000 to appear at clubs. He's also working on a music career. Yeah, that's what I think of his music career. Snooky charges $20,000 to walk on a red carpet for an event. In addition to that, she has a hair product and a book deal. Wow has her own fashion line, which we know. Angelina makes five grand for appearances, and Sammy gets $15,000 for appearances. It, it, it's insane. It is insane that somebody's willing to pay Snooky, Snooky, one of the fucking treasure trolls, fucking, uh, fucking Goomba Jawas from Jersey, is getting, is getting paid 
$20,000 to saunter her little, her little piddly ass down a red carpet. You know, I, I'm not hating. I can't knock the hustle for sure because, you know, they took their stereotypes and they made millions of, millions of dollars about it. But what boggles my fucking mind is the people paying for this shit. Like, who would pay somebody $12,000 to host a party? Who? Like, I can understand if Jay-Z was hosting a party, but imagine you handing out a, 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 a club flyer, and it says, Tonight at the lounge, Ronnie from the situation. Oh, my God! Like, who's going to do that? Who? Nobody's excited for that shit. Oh, my God, and the fact that it's 12 grand. It's a fucking car. That's the price of a car for you to just stand there and fist pump and get drunk and possibly punch a couple of people in the face. Ugh, disgusted I am. Last bit of news. You know, I know that E is the entertainment network, but they really do sometimes just push the envelope with shit. Not as bad as TLC, because TLC will do... I'm the one-armed, 300-pound, pregnant woman with a skin disorder. I need help. Like, that'll be on TLC. Or, I have no legs and I'm pregnant. That'll be on TLC. Or, you know, I have no eye sockets and no eyeballs, yet I want to compete in a beauty pageant. That's what's on TLC. E is already stepping in that direction with this gem. E is set to air a new bridal competition show, with an interesting award. The title of the show is going to be Bridal Plasty, which will feature brides-to-be competing in various events, and the winner will get to choose a plastic surgery procedure off their wish list. I'm not joking. Celebrity surgeon Terry Dubrow and crew will begin the procedure right away, and the results will be shown on the next episode. Uh, Shauna Markler, who was the ex-wife of Travis Barker from Blink-182, will be the host. One bride will be voted off each week, and the winner will get to have a very special dream wedding where their family, friends, and husband will see their, their new look for the first time. So let me get this straight. Some poor bastard is getting married. His girl is going to disappear and get a new face or giant tits or a tummy tuck or a nose job, and no one's going to see her till the wedding day. What if they fuck it up and she comes out looking like the crypt keeper? For her wedding, what if she gets like triple D boobs and fucking an, uh, an implant bursts as she's walking down the aisle? It's like it's like a, a carnival of shit. It's like everybody taking a shit collectively and trying to fling it through flaming hoops. Like it really is. It's 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 just digging into the bottom barrels of awful. Who wants to watch this shit? Who? And the worst thing is, it's like. Some of these people might have like like kids and shit. What if you get what if you get plastic surgery and your kids and you walk down the aisle and your kids go, "That's not my mom," and they're all scarred for life and shit because their mom looks like the fucking crypt keeper or or like sack boy from Little Big Planet. What the fuck, man? I swear we are damned as a society. Ah, uh, it really is the fucking end. But with that said, that's actually going to wrap up the show for this week. Let me uh, give you guys a little, a little bit of upcoming show information. Next week I will be joined, by, hopefully, uh, by Rolando from SuperheroHype.com. SuperheroHype is a uh, 
merchandiser of, of various comic book apparel, and that he'll be coming by to discuss superhero movies, their trips to Comic-Con, and a host of other stuff. He will be joining me next week. Um, not giving away too much, but all i got to tell you is Wanted, Kick-Ass, and My Take Radio. You'll find out the rest of that soon. With that said, a couple of plugs as always. RazorClothing.tv, Razor Rob's clothing company, of course. Razor Rob fighting for Itachi Palace fights fighting to hopefully make his way back into the US into the UFC, former lightweight champion, friend of the show. Uh, RazorClothing.tv is his website. You can go there and pick up any of the uh, merchandise from the Razor Clothing line. NortheastWasteland.com is no longer um, in service. Kyle is actually working on a new project called GamerWave. If you get a chance, head over to GamerWave.com or look for GamerWave on Facebook or check out the GamerWave podcast as well. Shout out to Brandon Barron from BrandonBarron.com. Uh, Go Creed Go, which is Consequences Creed's website. You can check what he's doing as well as follow his progress as he embarks on a journey to become the next WWE star. GoCreedGo.com is his website. Uh, GiantSparrow.com is uh, Max Geiger from the Deadliest Warriors uh, website for his upcoming video game. Head over to GiantSparrow.com. DrinkDocs.com is, of course, the... Uh, vitamin water put out by Dr. Armand Dorian from The Deadliest Warrior. Got to give a shout-out to the GirlGamer.com crew and the GamingAngels.com crew for checking out the article I put out about Girl Gamers. If you haven't read it, head over to MyTakeRadio.com and check it out. Um, it was written by, <clears throat> excuse me, it was written both by me and by my fiancé, and we shared our thoughts on the, um, pretty much the gender separation being perpetuated and pushed in the video game community. Uh, part of it is good. Part of it is bad. Um, read it at your own risk. I know some people will disagree. Some people will agree. I welcome the feedback. Either myself or my fiance will comment accordingly to what your views are on the subject. Check that out on MyTakeRadio.com for sure. MMAGospel.com. You can check out their show on the Block Talk Radio Network Wednesdays at 8 p.m., you can follow their website, which is MMAGospel.com, and you can check out uh, some of Turk's work on Fighters.com as well. Got to give a shout-out to MMAValor.com, which supports My Take Radio week in and week out. Um, MMA Valor, of course, is another source for MMA news, so definitely stop by there if you're an MMA fan. Of course, the Darksiders crew hard at work with Darksiders 2. Hopefully we'll have something later on this year, probably in December or January, that I can tell you guys about Darksiders 2. You can check that out at darksiders.com, or you can go to Hayden Dalton's blog, which is haydendalton.wordpress.com, or you can follow him on Twitter. Got to give a shout-out to my boy, Brooks Macbeth, the VGN radio crew, as always, for their support of the My Take Radio brand. Cleveland Sports Radio, of course, another one of the VGN radio shows. You can check out all the shows on vgnradio.com for a full schedule, including Don Anderson's Tumbling with Tumbleweed, that's Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Last but not least, 411mania.com, ocremix.org for their kick-ass intro and outro music, MMA Junkie also for their MMA news, and filmdrunk.com for their unadulterated take on the film industry where they pull no punches and they shit on everybody. So definitely props to Vince for all the work at filmdrunk.com. And pretty much that's it, folks. My Take Radio episode 59 is in the books for Thursday, September 16th, 2010. You can email me with questions, feedbacks, or concerns 
at mtrhost at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, my personal account, Akuma25, or the My Take Radio Show account, My Take Radio. If you're still playing around on the desert known as MySpace, you can follow the show. It's myspace.com slash mytakeradio. And, of course, the Facebook fan page. Help us keep growing the My Take Radio brand. Keep spreading the word to help us keep growing. That's it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for your calls and your continued support. See y'all guys later. Peace. I'm out. Taking us out this week, Epic NES. You can check out their page, myspace.com slash epicnesband, and their track is Epic NES, the Metal Gear theme. Enjoy. Enjoy.